welcome to the Monday edition of Couch Potato Diary. I'm Peter Klein. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at PrimetimeKlein. The music you're listening to is Wasted Talent. Thank you to those Calgary boys for providing the tracks for Couch Potato Diary. A busy one today. I think a lot of times with this show, I'm going to try to focus more on just one or two sports, but I've kind of been out of the game for a little bit, so there's a few things I want to just kind of rapid-fire touch on today. And then we have Ryan Pike from FlamesNation.ca getting set for the Flames against the Habs coming up a little bit later on on Monday. If you're listening to this after Monday, there's still some evergreen stuff in here talking about the Flames long term. So it's not just a, well, what's the power play going to look like today? There are a few things that you can take from that interview more than just what's happening on Monday. So if you're getting this one a little bit late. Again, follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, also on Twitch, I am twitch.tv slash primetimepk. That's where I was Saturday night for UFC 261 post-fight coverage. Put the audio up on here, but if you want to hang out, you can always join us. I'll be definitely on there a lot more as my, my free time has certainly expanded over the last little while. Touched on it a bit on the show, but do quickly want to run through some of the stuff from UFC 261 as I think one of the themes of the night, as I go back over my notes and as I go back and just kind of relive what was a crazy night on Saturday, I think one of the themes that you take away from that show is people at the top of the game improving their game. Kamaro Usman, we knew he had power. He broke Colby Covington's face, which again, thank you, but you never really saw the stand-up in that way or against someone as good in the stand-up game as Jorge Masvidal is. Uh, it was Luke Thomas who said, you just don't do that to Jorge Masvidal. He hadn't been stopped since 2009 and hadn't been pieced up on the feet like that since 2008. That's a while ago. It's a depressingly long time ago. And for Kamaru Usman to be able to do that with the wrestling base he already has just makes him that much scarier. And he certainly is working his way into the upper echelon all time in the welterweight division. You have Rose Namajunas. The fight skills have always been there, but there's always been a little bit something of the mental aspect of the fight game. Not not the in-cage stuff, but just being the champion and being in that spotlight that hasn't really clicked with Rose. It feels like it has now, and it feels like she's just kind of back where she belongs. And for Valentina Shevchenko, one of the most dangerous strikers in mixed martial arts, and now she's incorporated a wrestling game. And that wasn't just a boxer that she was taking down. Jessica Andrade has won fights by way of slam. That is a very dangerous fighter that she just decided to engage with in the clinch and beat her up. Just a, an incredibly impressive performance for Valentina Shevchenko. For the two women champions, I'm not sure what's next. Uh, Shevchenko is well on her way to cleaning out every contender at that weight class. Probably, uh, I would imagine, Caitlin Chukagian picks up a win in her next fight and... That would be the next challenger for a Valentina Shevchenko. For Rose Namajunas, it's a little bit murkier. There wasn't a whole lot up at the, the top of that division as it was. So I'm interested to see where they go with Rose Namajunas and this championship. I don't know if you go with a rematch right away. That was a pretty definitive victory for Rose. But I'm just excited to see her back at the top of her game. On to the, the more unfortunate aspects of Saturday with the two leg injuries. The frustrating part is, again, first and foremost, we, we hope that both have quick recoveries. I imagine Jimmy Crutes is rather easily. He's probably walking fine now. But specifically for Weidman, you, you just hope everything is okay. 
the the frustration is how important both of those fights were for all four combatants involved. For Uriah Hall, this had a chance to be a signature win to move him into kind of that next level in the middleweight division. And for Chris Weidman, I, I said it on Saturday, this was his last chance at a real run. This was his last chance to, to get himself back into relevancy at 185 pounds. Will he be able to do that after the long road back? Will there be a long road back? Like there, there is, I don't know about a real chance, but there is a non-zero chance. That's the last image we will have of Chris Weidman in the UFC's octagon. And if he was going to lose that fight, that was probably going to be the last image we had of Chris Weidman in the UFC's octagon. I really wondered if Bellator was next for him. So that that was the frustrating thing was just how pivotal that fight was in the careers of both men. And then Anthony Smith, Jimmy Crute, for, for Crute, again, this is a chance, level up. You're 25-year-old prospect. A lot of people are excited about you. Back-to-back -back finishes. Now you're facing the biggest name that you fought up until this point. And you just have an unfortunate leg injury that happens. And for Anthony Smith, he's someone who's trying to work his way back into title contention. And not a lot of people taking him seriously in that trek. For him to have this fight go down so indecisively it really doesn't do anything for him. And that's, that has to be so frustrating for guys who put in all this work. It's not just show up on fight night and fight. You put in all this work for this training camp to have that opportunity to advance your career. And now you're basically just back where you were at the start of that eight month or that eight week journey. And that has to be just so incredibly frustrating. The big game of the day, the Montreal Canadiens taking on the Calgary Flames. And it's interesting that I'm back talking about the Flames when I left my last job about a month ago. It was one of the reasons why I was like, okay, with everything is the the flames had kind of become tiresome to talk about <laughs> to be honest it, it was just it, it did kind of feel like the season was in the mud and it, it's just there's only so many ways you can say yeah they're screwed and it was becoming a little bit exhausting to talk about every single day and so I, I was kind of excited to, to be able to branch out and talk about more sports as they were happening. And now the Flames have gone on a bit of a mini run, more a Montreal collapse than a Flames run, and the Flames are relevant again. So here I am talking about the Calgary Flames on my first all sports edition of Couch Potato Diary. But th this is a, a massive game, and we'll be talking with Ryan Pike coming up here in a matter of moments. Just a, a quick note, we taped that interview earlier this morning. Uh, this is my first time the podcast world is coming back to bite me. That is before the Nick Kiprios, uh, Darren Drager reports that uh, Noah Hannafin's probably done for the season. That obviously changes things dramatically. This was a breakout season for Noah Hannafin, and you can credit a lot of that to Chris Tanev for being able to to kind of help him carry to, to kind of help carry him along. But you need to be carryable if that makes sense. And uh, I think we saw a next level of Noah Hannafin, and I don't think it's all just because Tanev was there. I, I think that there was a next step taken by the player himself, and then having a, a solid, reliable partner certainly helps in that. Not having that with the Flames, it, it gets a bit tricky now because Mark Giordano is clearly not the Norris Trophy winner that he was. I, I did not like what I saw from him these last couple of nights and haven't really liked what I've seen from him all season long. You have Tanev, who's going to be solid, and then after that, like Rasmus Anderson hasn't taken the step that you would have hoped for from him. And Yusuf Alamaki has certainly been fighting it, certainly under Daryl Sutter. He, he's had a few issues. So now... 
for a team that is basing a lot of their stuff off of how defensive they can be, this becomes a bit of a challenge for them. Uh, the, the good news for them is they're taking on a Montreal team that is just, it, it feels like they're spiraling. No carry price. We talk about it a little bit with, with Pike coming up here in a matter of moments, but it, it's just, it is a team that is having too many breakdowns. And that's the thing that I took away from these weekend's games against the Flames is that the defensive zone that is supposed to be a strength of Montreal quickly became a weakness. And it's just, it's these sloppy turnovers that you just don't expect to see with this Montreal team. I think they are a very good team. I think they're a better hockey team than the Calgary Flames are, but I don't think they are playing like it right now. And I think when we look back at this season, I think that coaching change that Montreal made is going to look like one that did more harm than good. I don't think that I don't think the current regime is handling the situation in Montreal as well as the past one would have. Uh, I, I just, I don't think you see these same mistakes made if that coaching change doesn't happen. And I'm not putting it all on the coach, but I, I just, I don't think that helped. And in a spot now where you kind of need a little bit more structure, they certainly don't have that. So I, I it is at this point, it is tough to handicap where this playoff race goes. It's one of the few playoff races left in the NHL in what is kind of looking like it's going to be a rather ho-hum finish. But when you have a couple Canadian teams involved in playoff races, that certainly amps up the intensity level, at least here, north of the border. A big picture for the Flames, I, I am still of the opinion that all this work to get Johnny Gaudreau going is great for the regular season, but it, it always changes in the playoffs for him. And nothing that happens now is going to change my opinion on him. I I still don't know if the fit is there with him, with the Calgary Flames. I, I do think it might be time to move on this offseason. If they get in the playoffs, he has a chance to change my mind. But as of right now, I'm pretty firm in my stance that I think this needs to be a big offseason of change for the Calgary Flames. Other things happening in sports, it is draft week in the NFL. I continue to be perplexed by all of the Mac Jones hype. I understand Kyle Shanahan is the, this offensive genius, but you still need some weapons to go out there and win you football games. And for, for Mac Jones, yes, he he processes things well at Alabama. You know why he processed things well at Alabama? Because he had time to process things well at Alabama. And then, oh, well, he, he is able to, to go through his progressions and find the open receiver. That's because every damn guy was open at, at Alabama. And I, I don't want to punish him too much for having a good team around him. We're certainly not doing that with Trevor Lawrence. But when you look at what type of quarterbacks win in the National Football League coming in as young players... It ain't Mac Jones. It's just not. And I understand, like, a pocket passer just won the Super Bowl. Great. Fantastic. So all you need to have the skill set of Mac Jones to win a championship is to be the most cerebral football player in the history of the sport. Fantastic. Great. If that's all we need, well then, fine. I'm perfectly fine drafting a kid out of Alabama and hoping that that's where this turns out. I, I would not be doing that. It, it just, everything about the Kyle Shanahan offense and how they want to run things screams Justin Fields. And I'm not even that high on Justin Fields. I personally think if we came out of this draft with one stud and three or four busts, I'm not surprised. I think Trevor Lawrence is the sure thing. And then the rest of them, there are just so many question marks. Odds are one of them is going to hit because they were going to. But I just, I feel like Fields needs one more year. Now, that being said, if you are an NFL team and you can give him that one more year, 
boy, that sure would help. I, I think the Atlanta fit would be perfect as well. I think San Francisco is an interesting one. I don't think he would get the full year to kind of redshirt behind Jimmy Garoppolo. I think the first time anything went wrong, Justin Fields is probably going into that game. I don't know if that is, I don't know if it's the best fit for him, but it's a better fit than Mac Jones. And the best of Justin Fields gets you the best of the San Francisco offense. And I do think that while Fields has some limitations, Kyle Shanahan could get the most out of those. And I think Fields still has some progression to go. Like in the, the, the boxes that these guys don't check, Mac Jones is never going to check his. Like, he, he's never going to all of a sudden pick up a 4-4-40 and be able to, to run around like a crazy person. Justin Fields, some of his developing, or, or some of his issues are just development. He, he's going to develop into to some of those. He just has the physical gifts now to be able to, to work away from them. I think he's an incredibly smart quarterback as well, and he's just going to be able to improve on those things where Mac Jones... I just don't know where the development is coming from. I, I feel like Mac Jones is almost already peak Mac Jones and Justin Fields has a long way to go. We'll have more on the draft as the week goes along. But one more note, I am firmly against what the Winnipeg, or sorry, what the New York Jets have been doing leading up to this draft. I, I think that I understand from a salary cap standpoint, you kind of get a couple more years of a quarterback on a rookie level deal. I just don't think you can look at the success that everyone has had when Adam Gase leaves their lives and not think that Sam Darnold is due for a bit of a turnaround. And, and I, I just think I, I look at the Jets situation and I think you go from having a young, pretty good quarterback with nothing around him to now having a young, pretty good quarterback with nothing around him. I personally would have You've already kind of gone all in on Sam Darnold. I I would have tried to fix that offensive line, get maybe a weapon around him, and, and see what you are able to do with a competent coach at the helm. So I, I feel like Sam Darnold was a victim of circumstance. I think he's going to be quite good with the, the Carolina Panthers, and I think the Jets are probably going to be back in the same spot in a couple of years where, well, we haven't really had the things around him, but he hasn't really lifted us to another level either so who's to say like you're just you're not going to have the weapons around whatever quarterback you draft to be able to to firmly have an answer on that so I haven't really loved what the Jets have done in the lead-up to the NFL draft last one in the NBA we have an MVP race that at a time looked super boring because it was just going to be LeBron and then he goes down and now all of a sudden, everything is wide open. And the one name that I'm not hearing enough in the MVP conversation is Steph Curry. To me right now, he is my MVP. You look at, A, the team that is surrounding him. And I understand they're in ninth right now, ninth or 10th at the time of this. They're going to be playing in the play-in game. And the fact that they aren't the worst team in the NBA is all Steph Curry. And I, you look at the, the case for Joel Embiid. He has been so dominant this season, but he's been so dominant in 12 less games than Steph Curry, and that gap is going to grow as we go down the stretch here on this season. And yes, like, Joel Embiid is an absolute game changer, but Steph Curry is an absolute game changer, and he is a game changer who makes everyone around him better. And I'm not saying Joel Embiid doesn't, but Steph Curry is able to lift just a pretty atrocious roster to at least playoff level. And I, I don't think that if you are the Utah Jazz or the Phoenix Suns, you're totally thrilled with having to face Golden State in round one. And that is all because of Steph Curry. And 
I get the argument for Nikolai Jokic is that he also makes everyone around him better. But Steph Curry just does the things that Jokic does just better. Like from a playmaking standpoint, Jokic as a big man is second to none. And it is incredible what what he can do. And the problem with these types of debates is that you're trying to, it sounds like you're cutting down two of the top three players in the league this season. And that's not what I'm doing. I would take Embiid and Jokic on my team any day of the week. Jokic probably more than Embiid, but still, I I think that those are incredibly talented players, but Steph Curry is having an unbelievable make everyone on his team drag this team into the playoffs kicking and screaming season with Draymond Green, who just can't play offense anymore, James Wiseman, who I think is going to be very good, but just isn't, isn't there yet. Andrew Wiggins is playing 33 minutes a night for this team. That's a terrifying proposition for the Golden State Warriors. But Steph Curry still has them firmly in the play-in, and I think that has to have him firmly in the NBA's MVP conversation. Once again, want to give a quick shout out to Wasted Talent for the beats provided on all Couch Potato Diary shows. You can follow them on Instagram at Wasted Talent with the X where the A's are supposed to be. And also follow their producer, Tommy Fresh, on Instagram at Tommy Fresh Music. Now, here's Ryan Pike from FlamesNation.ca. Just a quick note on this before we get going. Uh, apparently had some audio issues on my end. So what you are going to hear from me in this interview does not sound like what you are hearing from me now. Uh, so just bear with us. Apologize for the, uh, the the audio issues. But anyway, here's Ryan Pike. And we started the conversation with me wondering how the Flames have hung around in this playoff race. Well, I mean, let's let's be honest. Like since Daryl Sutter came in, in, uh, in, I think his first game was March 11th. You know, they're a game under 500, but, you know, if you look at their underlines, their expected goals, their defense, especially their defensive underlines, they are a much better defensive team. They're a little bit worse offensively in terms of generating chances, but that's also corresponded with them becoming tremendously unlucky. Hockey's a game of, of luck and bounces and mistakes. And unfortunately for the Flames, they're, they hit a stretch where their goaltending couldn't stop anything during the, you know, the, the handful of really good scoring chances they, they had against them. And during this handful of great scoring chances they got, they couldn't bury enough of them. So I, it's sort of the, you know, Daryl Sutter's hallmark is playing low event, grinded out, basically, I would call it chess club hockey, where, you know, you rely on fundamentals and positioning and you just sort of wear down the other team until they just sort of give up by the third period because they're just so tired of playing that style of game. And it's a tough game to play because, you know, because it's lower event, luck can play a better, a bigger role. I mean, when you're playing, you know, the, the Bob Hartley run and gun, give them the outside of the, the offensive zone uh, style they played in 14-15, they was a, arguably a much more entertaining style of game, but the team, you know, they just gave up a bunch and they got a bunch of chances and you just prayed that you had a hot goaltender. Uh, the the flame style right now relies a little bit less on on hot goaltending, a little bit more on positioning, but it's still kind of it's it still preys on uh, on some luck and bad bounces here and there. So the short answer is why they why why did not, what did work before and is working now? Basically nothing. It's the same stuff's going on fundamentally. They're playing basically as well as they were, except now they're managing to bury their chances and they're getting that extra save a game by from Markstrom. When we describe Daryl Sutter hockey, none of it screams Johnny Gaudreau hockey. Um, and you could see in the, the first few games that when he would try to dump the punk in and it would just sail out of play or like just it was 
nothing about it screamed, oh, this guy's been asked to dump the puck in a lot before. How now in the, the last couple of games have you seen Johnny Gaudreau kind of adapting to this style of hockey? Well, the, the interesting thing is, uh, you know, Johnny broke into college hockey under Jerry York at Boston College. And Jerry York is sort of a very old school coach, big on systems, big on structure. The, the thing is, you know, especially with, you know, when Johnny came in as a as a rookie in the NCAA as a freshman, you know, you don't give him a lot of wiggle room because he's a freshman. And, you know, who cares what you did in junior kid? We want to see if you can play with the big boys. And over that first freshman year, as Gaudreau showed that he could play that style of hockey and sort of he had the fundamentals and the positioning down, York's coaching staff gradually sort of let the reins off him a bit, said like, okay, you know, Johnny, here's what we need you to do. It was similar to what he was supposed to be doing in terms of everyone else, sort of the structural stuff. But once he, within that structure, he was completely fine with Gaudreau doing crazy stuff in the offensive zone because, you know, you, you don't have a lot of Johnny Gaudreau's fall into your lap in college or in the NHL. So you might as well use them. And I think with Goudreau, like you said, I think there is sort of an adjustment period for him sort of figuring out, you know, okay, how am I supposed to do this? Because compared to, you know, trying to figure out how many coaches Johnny's had at this point, uh, Hartley, Gullitson, Peters, Ward, so, so in his fifth coach in the, in the NHL, and it's still a relatively small NHL career, right. you know, Goudreau, you can tell, like, I think, and I think this happened with a lot of some of the team's skill players, you sort of have that moment of hesitation where there's like, what am I supposed to be doing here? So they, you know, and I think that sort of led to some, some of the clunkiness in the early games they played. But I think Gaudreau has really sort of started to figure that stuff out. I think it helps that he's sort of been playing, you know, I think, Mostly last few games, he's been playing a lot with uh, Elias Lindholm. Uh, it looks like uh, with the new lines from uh, from the practice the other day that he'll be playing with a bit more with Andre Mangiapane. With I believe he was with on a line with Mon with Monahan and Andre Mangiapane. In short, they're doing what they can to make life easy for Gaudreau in the sense of if you if he's a little bit hesitant about what am I supposed to be doing here, he's on the ice with one or two of the best even strength players the flames have and i think especially you know with manjipani manjipani's game is all built on structure and pace and so you know he might not be a guy that has that high-end skill like goudreau does but i think the cool thing about them potentially playing together is goudreau can sort of feed off his structure and i think playing with goudreau might give manjipani a little bit more confidence to do some crazy things offensively because you know, bless his heart, Majipani is a hell of a player. He, you know, you can make an argument that maybe he's not as selfish as he needs to be offensively because he's he tends to be the guy who's setting up a sweet goal rather than scoring it himself. So maybe playing a bit with Gaudreau can uh, unleash, unleash a little bit of his razzle-dazzle. Yeah, a guy like Majipani, I think, is kind of a, a perfect fit with Gaudreau where it's like, hey, you just go in there, skate really hard, crash into a bunch of things, get the puck, get it to this guy who's super fancy with it and then just find a spot where he can find you again. Like I, I, I like that. It's why I was always tantalized by how Sam Bennett could potentially fit with that. Now, obviously that's not going to happen. Um, but for Manjapani, it, it does seem like if they can make that work, that is probably a, a best case scenario for a fit for those two. Yeah. And, and I think the, the beautiful thing with Manjapani is, you know, we, we spoke with him last year when he was on a great run. We spoke with him the year before, like Manjapani, I think the thing, that 
makes him successful as a pro and has made him successful as an NHLer is he plays the same way, no matter who he's playing with and who he's playing against. Uh, when he was on that fourth line a couple of years ago with uh, Kern Hathaway and Derek Ryan, you know, that line was probably the best fourth line the Flames have had since I've been here, just in sense of they, they didn't have that drop off and pace that you tend to have with fourth lines from teams where usually, you know, usually you have three lines that are sort of built with purpose. And then the fourth line is whoever's left. And that, the, the, that line seemed to be built with purpose. Like Hathaway was your physical guy. Derek Ryan is just sort of a guy who was really good at sort of the nuances of the game and connective tissue and sort of figuring out how to get the puck to whoever needs it. And Manchapani is just, he plays with pace. He's, he's a great puck retrieval guy. And so with Manjipani's success, like they've thrown him on a bunch of different lines with a bunch of different people. And he basically goes like, okay, so I just go, I just go for check and get the puck and then see who's open. Okay. And for him, it, it's worked. And, you know, he's, he, I believe he's leading the flames by a couple points, two or three points over Johnny Gaudreau in, in uh, five on five primary points, which is goals and the first assists, which means that when pucks go in, it tends to be off his stick or directly from something that came off his stick. And for a guy who's 20, you know, still like early mid twenties, you know, he's not going to be eligible for free agency for a few years, thankfully for the flames. You know, he's, he's outscoring Johnny Gaudreau in that realm. And he's the, the fact that he's outscoring guys who get paid more than twice what he does is kind of a kind of insane and B you know, it speaks to how good he is at doing the little things. And he's a guy who, who he's not going to be cheap for too much longer. I think he has one year left in his current contract, uh, if I was the Flames, figure out a way to get him signed long term because, you know, I think the reason that he was sort of given a medium term bridge contract after that great year he had last season was, you know, you can, you can, you know, if, if you want to be, you know, sandbagging your guy, yeah, you know, it's just one season, you know, who, who, who cares, you know, what, what, what have you done lately? Well, lately he's had two really, really good seasons. And, you know, if he has a third one, he's going to get even more expensive. So I think that's going to be one of the, you know, people, people ask me, Oh, what's the the big to do's for the flames this off season? Well, for, you know, sure. Seattle expansion. Sure. They got to figure out backup goalie, but I think the big to do is, you know, figure out how you're going to afford Majapani for three, four, five years down the road and then work backwards and figure out how you're going to work the money. Yeah, no, I, I like, I could watch that kid play all night. I, I absolutely love what he brings to the flames. Back on the, the Gaudreau front, we'll talk about his line mates and just o- only casually mentioning, oh, and at times with Sean Monaghan as well. That has been a hot, hot button debate in, the, uh, in this city for a while now. Um, we, we've seen them together in the last little bit. We've seen them apart in the last little bit. I was always of the opinion that don't split them up, but it seems like splitting them up actually kind of worked. When you look at how things have gone lately, what is the, the best spot for those two? Is it apart or together? I, I'm going to default to it together because I think I think you can do interesting things around them that sort of open up some opportunities. But I think the fact that they were able to sort of break them up a little bit, you know, I, I think it sort of keeps them on their toes a bit because you know they've been each other's security blanket basically since 2014. They you know they've they've hardly played more than a game or two apart from each other, and you know usually those games are due to injury. So I, I just think you know at some point. You know, you need to know what they're apart because you kind of need to know if you need to make a move, what you have in, in the tank for one of them. And I think I think they you know, you've learned some things about them in the last three, four games that you know will be beneficial. But I, uh, honestly, I think that I think the team lines up better with them together, because then I think worst case, like, you know, 
if one or both of them doesn't really have it, you can shuffle around. But worst case, you can, you know, you just stick them together, put them with a good linemate like they're doing with Majapani, give them a bunch of offensive zone starts, and then work the lineup around the rest of them. The, the kind of elephant in the room when it comes to the Calgary Flames is are Johnny Gaudreau and Sean Monaghan fits for this team long term? I was of the opinion that the answer to that was no. Um, but now, and again, I don't want to, I, I keep saying, well, now that they're on this run, but like you said, it's not a, an overly incredible run and we'll, we'll get to why it's making it a little bit closer to the playoff race in a sec, but for Gaudreau and Monaghan with, with Daryl Sutter hockey, uh, is this a group that can, or is this a pair that can fit with this organization and a pair that this team can win with long-term? Cause I, I, I still don't know if the answer is yes to that. What I would say is, I think they're good players. You know, no one's going to yeah. say they're not good players. You don't right. score as many goals as Johnny Gaudreau has or Sean Monaghan has without being good at the NHL. Like, they're good at ice hockey. I think the challenge is, you know, if you look at sort of the way the Flames are composed, they have a lot of good pieces. They don't have any great pieces. Uh, the last great piece they have is, a, is currently, you know, approaching his 38th birthday in Mark Giordano. And they just came down an accident. Like, he got great in his own. Like, that was just a fluke. Yeah. Uh, but if you look at the team, like, you know, Matthew Kachuk might be topping out at being a pretty good hockey player. You know, really, you know, a good, he, they have a lot of guys who you, you'd be comfortable playing on your first line if you have a, another guy with them who's better. And yeah. I think the challenge is, you know, like, say, you know, we've, we've had the argument basically since, since the, the days of Joe Neuendijk in this town, oh, is, is insert name here, uh, first line center. And the answer has always been, well, you know, if they're playing with Jerome McGinn, are they playing with Johnny Gaudreau? I guess they're a first line center because they're playing on the first line. But since since Matt, since Joe Newdike went away in '95, the Flames haven't really had that top notch like you know he'd be first line in every team kind of center. Whereas you know Elias Lindholm, pretty pretty damn good center. Is he a you know a guy you're going to have first line all the time? Uh, you know maybe kind of. Same with right. Monahan. I think they sort of give you different things. And I think that's the problem where, you know, the Flames, you know, they have a bunch of guys who you'd be happy with playing first line wing, first line center, wherever, but you don't really have a lot of guys who are top notch, like no questions asked, top, top tier guys. You can make the same sense for their blue line, where their blue line is sort of a bunch of pretty good hockey players, uh, some more than others, but do you really have, you know, especially with Giordano getting, getting up in age, do you really have that one guy who makes you go like, hot damn, that's the, that's the guy who's going to anchor this group and drag them kicking and screaming where they need to go. Right, right now, they, they don't really have that. So I think the challenge is now they really have to have as many guys going as possible because they don't really have, you know, like I don't think there's anybody on this team right now who is capable of having what, you know, you know, we're, we're, coming, we're I don't know there's a lot of uh, people reminiscing about the 2004 run these days. Uh, you know, we all remember the shift in game six of, uh, of the 2004 Stanley Cup final where Jerome Angela in overtime just went, okay, we're winning this game. And he stayed on the ice. He lost his helmet. He, you know, knocked guys down. He, he was a man possessed. And he basically won them a game by basically banking a puck in off Oleg Saprikin. <laughs> all due respect to Oleg Saprikin. Right, yeah. <laughs> I think Oleg Saprikin would admit he was not the primary driver of that play. So that's a long way of saying, I mean – I think it's, you can win with Goudreau and Monaghan, but not with them alone. And I think that's the that's the issue where how do you build around them or with them in order to 
to get where you want to go because yeah. you know if you know I, I you know Kent Wilson on Twitter posted a couple of days ago sort of a list of the Flames assets I think it was the, the the most tantalizing players who are 25 and under and you know there's some good names but the question is like you know the, even the prospects I'm most excited for like I'm a big Jacob Pelche guy I think Jacob Pelche is a guy you win with but Jacob Pelche is sort of a guy who's going to slot in as sort of the winger you know flex equivalent of Michael Backlund where Pelche is just good he's good he can play everywhere in every situation and he'll help uh, help you out in a great way but is he going to be difference maker of the nhl to the degree guys better than backland can be and have been and the answer is right. probably maybe not but you know so i think the the challenge you know and, and let's be honest that when you're drafting in the middle of the late of the first round if you can get backland level players you'll take that every day of the week but i think the challenge is you know the flames have never for lack of a better term sucked for long enough to really get tippity top players. I mean, you know, the 2006 draft or 2013 draft uh, when they got Sean Monahan, he was a pretty good player in the first round and he's topped out at pretty good. And, you know, that's, that's fine. But, you know, there's some guys ahead of them. You go, oh man, if only he had fallen. 2000, you know, the 2014 draft when they got uh, Sam Bennett. I mean, in retrospect, it's looking like a not great pick, but there's some, you know, there's some extenuating circumstances. But if you look at the guys who picked ahead of Sam Bennett, you go, oh man, maybe one of those guys could have fallen. And I think that's that's the big issue where, you know, it's, you know, you're not going to knock the drafting. The drafting, they drafted the best players available, but they didn't really, they weren't bad enough to creep into that no questions asked franchise altering player territory. Right. And that's where a lot of the teams who you know get out of that sort of mushy middle of the league end up being like Tampa Bay is great, but they had to suck for a few years to get the pieces to make it possible to become great. Yeah, no, and it's it is tricky. And when you have guys like a Sam Bennett, where it's a top four pick, you kind of hope like those are the guys, those, those players turn into the guys that we're talking about them needing. And I remember the, the 2014 draft, that was one of the first ones I was on the air for and just like last minute cramming on all of these guys and a couple days before i was like look print your leon dry jerseys now because there's no way edmonton's uh, no one no way edmonton's passing on sam bennett and dry was just going to fall to the calgary flames uh, they'd be ridiculous to pass on sam bennett and um uh, oh, cold takes exposed i think is that the twitter account um that they weren't around then and thank god for me because well, i uh, i missed on that one <laughs> I remember, like, I'm a big draft guy. I remember the 2014 draft was affectionately known as the sham for Sam because there was Sam Bennett and Sam Reinhardt that were looked at at the top of that draft as, like, the can't-miss guys. Like, you know, you're, it's, it's hold your nose and just deal with being bad this year because you're going to get a Sam out of it. Whichever Sam you get, it's going to be great. In retrospect, you know, that's that's how drafting works. You know, you, right. you, you grab the best guy you can who fits your needs the best. And then you pray, pray, pray. He turns into what you hope he will. Yeah. And that's why this whole team building thing is we talk about luck earlier on there. There's kind of a bit of that too. It's like, Hey, you either have to get lucky in getting some of these guys in the mid to late of the first round or mid to late rounds in general. And then if you do have a high pick, you have to make sure that you sucked in the right year. So you get the right high pick. Like it's that there are so many variables that go into this thing. It, it must, I mean, it, it, I'm sure it does drive these guys crazy all the time and all the stuff that can happen. Yeah. And, and, and even, you know, talking about Sam Bennett, you know, I, you know, I didn't even think Sam Bennett was a bad prospect. I just think he was sort of a weird fit for him because he comes in and, you know, he, they gave him the ability, like you can, you know, the nice thing for him is, you know, 
they had a backland. And so he was able to sort of, you know, be tutored by backland the first couple of years. And then they sort of threw him in the deep end. And I think the problem is, you know, for Sam, they kept changing his role. And then, yeah. you know, they have, you know, guys like, you know, if you, if you just look at the, the, if you look, if you're looking from his, his perspective, you know, you have a good draw. Are you any better than Goudreau? Eh, maybe not, but he's still a pretty good second liner. That's fine. Oh, wait, they just signed, you know, they just drafted uh, Matthew Kachuk. Okay, well, Matthew Kachuk's a much different player than – you can make an argument that Matthew Kachuk is a better version of Sam Bennett. It's just no disrespect to either player, but I think, you know, the things that people like about Kachuk are the things that people also like about Bennett. And I think Kachuk's more consistent at them. And then you have a Manjipani come in and a Dubé. And, you know, I think the Flames, they started hitting on those draft picks much more frequently and they were able to transition guys much more quickly. And all of a sudden, if you're Sam Bennett, oh God, you're basically, you know, if he's, if they, if he didn't, if they didn't trade anyone, he was basically stuck in the third line. So it's tough because, you know, when you're, when you're the fourth overall pick and you're like the best player in every league you've ever played at since you were eight years old. And then you come to the NHL, they're like, Hey, you cool with being a third liner, bro. Some, you know, some guys just aren't wired like that. I mean, you yeah. know, even, even, you know, if you look at the, you know, look at Sven Berchi, where I think there's other things that went wrong with Sven Berchi, but you know, when Sven Berchi was transitioning to being an NHL player, there just weren't the minutes for him to be a top tier guy yet. And I think for, you know, when, when you hit, when it hits you in the face that, Hey, you might've hit your level and you might not be that tippity top guy anymore. It can be tough. Like we, we see it with, with established pros where, you know, you know, Matt station spoken about how tough it was initially when he came to Calgary and had to sort of figure out a new role because, you know, what he used to be able to do, he wasn't able to do anymore. And I think, you know, some guys like Stajan can just, you know, they just have that intangible where they can just work it out and figure it out and be malleable. And some guys aren't, aren't like that. So, you know, all due respect, I think it's, I'm pretty excited to see what Sam can do in Florida because, yeah. you know, it's pretty cool to sort of see him, you know, go in with no expectations and they just say, just do your thing because here, I think he was just sort of slotted. I, I kind of feel like the, the waiver rules kind of betrayed Sam Bennett a little bit. I get from a real life standpoint, he doesn't get sent down to the American hockey league. So they actually help him. But I, I really thought from a hockey standpoint, he really would have benefited from like a 20 or 30 game stretch a couple of years ago. Just go to the American Hockey League, kick some ass, take some names, chew some bubble gum and come back up to the, the main roster. And I, I do feel like that would have fixed a lot of what ailed Sam Bennett. But there's no way he's passing through waivers, a former top five pick a couple of years ago. Like the Flames, he has struggled mightily basically since year two. And the Flames get a second round pick and a prospect for him. So there, there was always going to be a market for the guy. Um, but I, I really thought like just a quick stint down, remember how good you are and come back and just do that again. I, I thought that really could have helped. Yeah. I, you know, they, they could have tried to get him down in a conditioning stint, but they probably would have had to healthy scratch him for like a, a week or two beforehand so that the NHL wouldn't be like, Hey, what kind of shenanigans <laughs> are you trying to pull here? But it's, you know, it's tough because, you know, the, the, you know, they, they like looking back, you know, he came in as a teenager and he used up his waiver exemption right away. And when he, when they used it up, he was playing really well. And you, you know, you would, it would have been a hard sell to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. We want to keep his waiver eligibility kids. So we're going to send <laughs> back to junior right now. Right. So I think they're sort of painted into a corner because, you know, he plateaued or at least his development sort of derailed at a point where his exemption was gone and they had, they couldn't really do much with him outside of hope he played through it and playing through some struggles at the NHL level is tough. And, you know, 
that's that's the you know that those are the, the the frustrating intricacies of of drafting and development because you know I, I think you know the the challenge is okay can you figure out what you know how you screwed up this time and how do you how do you learn from it you know I think if you look at the Flames drafting you know that 2000 that 2014 draft in retrospect kind of a tire fire there's basically you know they have like the the picks they got for Bennett and nothing else nobody else from that draft has turned into anything but I think they've learned you know true living and his crew have learned from what didn't work from 2014 and if you look at pretty much every other draft like 2015 they made a bunch of trades they got Dougie Hamilton and three guys who are on the roster right now uh 2016 they've got two guys who are on the roster 2017 you know they they figured it out but Oh God! You wish they could figure it out a little bit sooner. <laughs> the, the the gulf of assets from that 2014 draft it's it must sting. Yeah, it, it does. Kind of, it feels like that's kind of a pattern with Trilliving or with the his time with the Calgary Flames, where the first part he'll screw something up and then doesn't make that mistake again. Like you said, like that draft, a bit of a tire fire, and then okay, well we've learned from that. Let's not do that again. And when it came to re-signing some of your guys, uh, I think it was. The Boma contract was a bad one, right? And he signs that. And then after that, oh, okay, we're not going to do that again. We placed Joe Colburn on waivers before uh, any kind of contract thing. Like just some, it, it does feel like he he learned a lot. And I don't know if it's calmed down in the last little bit, but the, the last time I was very much immersed in Flames, Twitter, culture, whatever, um, there, there was a lot of people not happy with the job that, that Brad Living has done. Um, are the Flames playing for the job of their general manager right now? Like if, if this season ends with the Flames not getting into the postseason, are we looking at a new general manager for the Calgary Flames, do you think? I don't think so. I think, A, he has a contract, and uh, considering that they're paying at least one other coach right now to not coach for the team, you know, the, the management and ownership tends to be, they like to keep the, for lack of a better term, the money on the field. So I think that'll help Tre Living's case. And, you know, I, I think if, if you look at sort of how the infrastructure they built, like, is it a perfect team? By all means, no. But if you sort of look right. at, you know, is the, the drafting and development a lot better than what? Yeah. Is the rock, like just looking at the reserve list that he inherited, like, you know, the, the muck that he inherited, like, you know, there, you know, you can definitely say that he's made some mistakes. And I think the fact that they're paying, I think, you know, Michael Stone's getting two paychecks right now. And Troy Brower's on Sportsnet getting paid to not play for the Calgary Flames is kind of weird. And <laughs> to, like, I, to, I I love Troy. Like, Troy, Troy is really great. But if I was Flames management, I'd find a way to lock him out of the building. Because it's, it's weird him being in the building and making more money than, you know, eight of the players currently playing for the team. Um, that's sort of an, an aside thing. I just think that's strange. Yeah. But back to back to Brad, I, I just think, you know, he's done enough good things that I think you can make a justification to keep him. Um, you know, I think he's, he did a good enough job with the last expansion draft. You probably want to keep him around to sort of navigate this one. And, uh, you know, I think you sort of want to give him one more chance to sort of see how things go. But I think, you know, this summer will be a big summer for, for him. And I think, we might be heading into, you know, like this will be this will be a big summer because you know this year, sure you have you know there's a pandemic, yeah, it, cool, cool, you have a pandemic excuse, great, great, you couldn't really do a lot, you had to you had to do a coaching change, yeah, you know there wasn't a lot of roster tinkering you could do because the pandemic because the pandemic killed the salary cap and the pandemic put all these restrictions on player movement, cool, and wipe it, wipe you know take out the whiteboard, wipe off this season and you know start fresh next year, but you know, when he starts fresh next year, I think his leash will be a lot, lot shorter than it was this year. 
because paying a paying a GM for two years not to not to manage for you a little bit tough. Paying him for one, a lot easier. And right. I think I think that's the kind of stuff they'll be looking at. So the short yeah. answer is I think I think Brad will be back next year. It'll be it'll be difficult to sort of replace him midstream given all the things that are going on. But I think he'll have a lot shorter leash next season. When we talk about the Flames being closer to a playoff spot and all of this, one of the the main reasons why uh, has nothing to do with them, although the last couple of games it has, uh, and that is the the Montreal Canadiens kind of hitting a a bit of a a tailspin over the last little while. Uh, Coming into the season, I thought pretty highly of this Montreal team. I I loved the offseason that they had. I thought they had the best blue line in the North Division. And you watch the last couple of games, and that best blue line in the North Division Looks like it has a lot of holes to me. Like there's just a lot of opportunities. I felt that, and credit to Flames for creating some of those opportunities. But I, I did not see the same Montreal team I thought I was seeing. Um, you've watched them up close the last couple of games, and I'm sure haven't turned the TV off when they're on um, other times as well. What have you seen from Montreal that has them kind of in this tailspin right now? I mean, I think one of the big challenges is you know they don't have Carey Price and Carey Price when he's on is you know the great stabilizer. But I think you know uh, I'm a, I'm a big Brendan Gallagher guy. I think Brendan Gallagher guy is one you know he's one of those he's basically you know Manjipani when you know he's what Manjipani wishes he could be when he grows up. He's you know <laughs> a good character guy from the dub. He you know he plays like a buzzsaw. He's fearless. He's high skilled. You know problem is he also got hurt at the precise wrong time. And, you know, for, for a team that was really needing some momentum and cohesion, you know, I think one of the, one of the things I was curious about in the off season was how are all these new things, new pieces, young guys, new guys, everything kind of cohere together in Montreal. And I think the short answer was Gallagher is one of those guys that is a glue guy. He sort of just made the, 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 the stew work for lack of a better term. And he's one of those guys where you take him out of that lineup all of a sudden it doesn't quite tick the way it does because some guys are sort of slotted out of their usual position or out of the usual rotation. And I think the other thing is, you know, the, the Habs, I think, uh, you know, our friends, the athletic, I think, uh, I want to say Arpan Basu wrote about this uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, the Habs have really mucked up their cap space right now. And, you know, they have Cole Caulfield who's, you know, people people were excited about Goudreau when Goudreau came in in 2014. Cole Caulfield's a Goudreau-level NHL prospect. Like, he's – like, his nickname in college is Goal Caulfield because he's so good at scoring goals. Like, he's just – the guy, you know, he, he, he sweats offense. Like, when he just sort of yeah. breathes, people get secondary assists. He's just – he's just tremendous. And he's a guy the Flames have no book on and he's a guy that no one in the NHL has a book on and he'd be such a cool X factor to sort of slot them line up when they need some life, but they don't have the cap space or the, or the recalls to bring him in. So that's, a, that's an issue because, yeah. you know, when, when you, you know, Ber- Mark Bergerman has been very active and very, you know, smart at doing a lot of things. And I think, I think the moves he has made have been fairly defensible and pretty smart, especially once the season got going, but making moves that sort of paint you into a corner where you can't use your best prospect. And he's with the team. He's right there. He's sitting in the press box, waving, going, hi, Mark, can I play now? Uh, And he can't. And that's, that's a, you know, that's a failure of, of Montreal. So I think there's been a lot of things that went wrong. If you're asking me one thing, I'd say, Gallagher, you know, Gallagher getting hurt really, really took the win out of their sales. But, you know, there's been a lot of little management things that have sort of painted them into a corner. And oh, I'm just I'm just mad because I want to see Caulfield play so badly because he's so good 
so many times and you know he'll be great next year but next yeah. year doesn't help him right now so again thank you to ryan pike uh, very generous with his time on a monday morning we in that you noticed by now didn't cover the noah hannafin injury we taped that before the news came out a, a real tough blow for both hannafin and for the calgary flames as he goes down probably a season ender according to nick kiprios and darren drager this is a time that all, all the, this season now building up for Yusuf Alamaki to this moment as he is going to be the one probably asked to step up in a big time way. And if he's not asked to step up in a big time way, that is a huge indictment on him. I'm not saying he is a bust. I think he's going to be the best defenseman on this team, maybe two years from now, but this season has not been the breakout year that a lot hoped it would be. This is his chance to rewrite that story. It has to start today though, against Montreal. I am going to want to finish all these shows with a little bit of nonsense. Um, there's enough weird going on in the world. And also, I've had to focus just on sports for too long. I like to to branch out a little bit. Talked a little bit of pro wrestling with Ryan Pike in that conversation. Didn't want to have it in the, the flame-centered part. By the way, if you're here for just the sports, this is probably the spot where you can just kind of drag the thing to the end and say, okay, I played it all. Thank you very much for tuning in. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe. If you want to hear some wrestling talk, that is coming up in 3, 2, 1. So, Impact Wrestling with their Rebellion pay-per-view last night. And Kenny Omega is the new Impact Wrestling champion. Chatted a little bit about that with Ryan Pike, who also dabbles in the the wrestling coverage conversation. Uh, So, let's hear that chat now. I mean... For for those of you who, who didn't who weren't following along, so Impact's been doing uh, crossovers, for lack of a better term. They have a couple of people in from from New Japan Pro Wrestling. Granted, American-based people from New Japan Pro Wrestling, but still people from New Japan. Right. Uh, they had a couple of people. You know, the the current Impact World Champion as of last night is the AEW World Champion Kenny Omega. So that's kind of interesting. They've been sort of doing some limited cross promotion with uh, with uh, AEW. Um, I watched the the pay-per-view last night, Rebellion. It was my first Impact pay-per-view thing I think I've ever purchased. It was <laughs> pretty good. Like, you know, I, I think they're, you know, Impact is definitively probably at this point the number three or four promotion in North America. I think them and Ring of Honor is sort of neck and neck. Um, and Ring of Honor, I think, is a much better track record of putting on good shows. So I think people would probably rather give Ring of Honor the benefit of the doubt. But no, I, I thought Impact was good last night. I, I think it's going to be curious how they follow up on it because, you know, as soon as you hear like, you know, this one guy has four belts, you go, oh, really? What yeah. happened there? So, you know, we'll, we'll see how the story plays out. But, you know, it's uh, it's the first – it's the most people have talked about or been interested in Impact in a while, and I think it's good for them. And I think, you know, hopefully it will allow them to come out of the pandemic with a little bit of momentum because – yeah. You know, I think at this point, there's only, you know, a handful of promotions that really have a lot of breathing room. And, you know, thankfully, Impact is one of them because, you know, it's, it's, it's especially with WWE, you know, letting so many people go. It's nice to see other places doing well and get, having some landing spots so that when people do get uh, become suddenly uh, unmoored from the big companies, they have some other places they can go and do some interesting things. It's just, it's such a great time to be a wrestling fan. And when everything gets back up and running, I'm interested to see where some of these recently released performers end up going. You look at the talent that is out there in the wrestling world right now. There is more than enough to satisfy the needs of WWE, AEW, 
New Japan, and then also have some for Impact Wrestling and for Ring of Honor and for MLW, who might have the best one hour of wrestling television each and every week. Check them out. They're available everywhere. Court Bowers did an amazing job of spreading their wings. So it's YouTube, DAZN, they're on Vice coming up here in, in a little bit. So definitely, if you're into the pro wrestling thing, check out MLW. Um, a couple non-sports shows that I am watching. If you do not, want, do not want spoilers on Big Brother Canada or on RuPaul's Drag Race, again, this is the part where we leave you. Thank you very much for listening. Rate, review, subscribe. Oh, please, oh, please, oh, please. Big Brother spoilers coming in three, two, one. Has this not been one of the best Big Brother seasons we've seen in a long time in this country? I have loved every bit of this season. I, I'm getting a little bit, con or was getting a little bit concerned that maybe with getting Jed to not use the power of veto, that the Tara Kiefer side of the house might have been playing a little bit too hard and then it worked, but now it might backfire in a, a tremendous, spectacular way as Jed looks to, to battle back tonight. That would be just an all-time backfire if Jed comes back into the house, and you have to think he's the favorite in whatever competition there is, but I, I think that it, it ends up working initially, but this could be a case where playing the game too hard comes back to bite you. And lastly, I talked at the beginning of the show about someone getting into a spot that they just... It felt like they deserved to be there all along. I had said to anyone who would listen that this season of RuPaul's Drag Race was basically just killing time until Simone ends up getting the, the crown. Got Mick and Rosé end up pushing toward the end and made it a little bit of a closer race, but Simone is a capital S star on a level, I think, of a Bianca Del Rio and on the level of a, a Bob the Drag Queen. I, I think... She is that good, and it was just an absolute treat to watch. What well, again, a very good season, and and maybe it's just we're in a pandemic, we don't have a lot to do. But I I thought that the the dueling seasons of RuPaul with the UK and with the American one, both extremely entertaining and a, a lot of fun. Already cannot wait until the next seasons of anything RuPaul's Drag Race, as it feels like everyone has been knocking it out of the park so far. That's going to do it for this edition of Couch Potato Diary. Thank you so much for downloading. Uh, subscribe wherever you can. And again, if you can, rate, review, and subscribe. As far as the schedule for me for the rest of the week, on Wednesday morning, you will have another We Had No Idea with myself and my wife as this week we talk nuclear meltdowns. Check for that on the We Had No Idea feed coming out Wednesday morning. Sometime a little bit later in the morning or Wednesday afternoon, going to have another sports-focused podcast. Working on getting a couple of guests for that one, but that'll be on the eve of the NFL Draft. Thursday, we'll have more combat sports conversation, looking at the world of pro wrestling, looking at the weekend that was in the UFC, and look at the weekend that is coming up as it never stops for the Ultimate fighting championship with another fight night card and then thursday night after round one of the draft looking to go on twitch again to kind of break down everything we see from what is always one of the most fun nights in the world of sports night one of the nfl draft so a lot more for me coming up again follow me on twitter and instagram i am at primetime klein on twitch i am twitch.tv slash primetime pk these guys you're listening to are wasted talent you can follow them on twitter at wasted underscore talent again there are x's where the a's would go when you're spelling those normally you can follow them on instagram at wasted talent 
all one word and a shout out to their producer Tommy Fresh for hooking us up with all of this you can follow him on Instagram at Tommy Fresh Music chat with you guys Wednesday we're out Thank you.